Welcome one, welcome all, the big dudes in the trenches podcast, where we talk about football. It's what we love to do around here. I am Doug, joined by the talented Tug and the balsamic bug. I looked at that you said to start with B, and balsamic was one of them. So now you're a vinegar. Oh, skadoodle, skadoodle, now you're a salad dressing. I got nothing. I guess that means we need to hop into the news, huh? Let's do it. Hey, some fun Bears news for you. Rashad Perriman got waived. Maybe they're making room for Odell Beckham Jr.? (laughs) He got waived for the Browns. That's been the big story of the week for sure. But uh, where in the world does he end up going? When you look at the, the waiver order... I don't think he's going to get to that playoff contender that he wants. However, he's apparently going to make it pretty tough for teams to want to take him otherwise. So, Doug, I know you you kind of had the lead on this one. So, Yeah, honestly, going into the weekend, I would have told you, hey, I thought Miami was going to put a waiver claim on him. Sitting at number two um, in the waiver order or waiver priority, that's, you know, they need a receiver. They can't keep anybody healthy. Not that OBJ is, you know, the – epitome of health in the NFL. Uh, So I would have thought that. But then some quotes came out uh, basically saying that he wants to go to a contender. I know it's the world's most breaking news story right there that OBJ wants to win a ring after playing on the Giants and then kind of being ignored by the QB in Cleveland. Uh, But also the added quote that he is prepared to cause issues if the wrong team claims him. He's not going to go to Miami, honestly, with the 7.2 mil tag and those types of comments coming out. I don't know if anybody claims him. He might be a free agent. That would be honestly pretty incredible. I would probably enjoy that immensely. I will also want to argue your point a little bit there. He got ignored by the quarterback. This is what his dad put on social media. At the same time, when you actually look at how the Browns have played, um, man, it feels like Baker's been forcing him the ball in some spots. The game plan has been centered around getting Odell the ball. And whenever he gets the ball in his hands, he either drops it immediately and is incomplete, or he just doesn't get any yards out of it. Just like doesn't do what he gets paid to do. So I would say the Browns are actually better without him. And Odell needs to be in an offense that is able to support such a big-name receiver like that, and the Browns are not that kind of an offense. And this is the same coach that was the offensive coordinator in Minnesota. This is the same reason we saw Stephon Diggs want to leave the Vikings, right? That kind of a big-name receiver does not work in Kevin Stefanski's offense. So Odell was not really a good fit there in Cleveland. That became very apparent over the last year and this year to me, and I would say he needs to go actually pretty far down the waiver list in order to end up in a team that can actually handle it. Yeah, I I don't know if any team is going to want to do that, though. I, mean, I, I think the Seahawks have been one that's been thrown around either by him or his father. I don't know that they're going to want somebody with that type of distraction, you know, all that he brings there. And not to mention, it's going to be a very crowded receiver room if he were to go to Seattle. DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, and OBJ – I I don't know. 
the other tough thing too is like I said, he's got a seven point two five mil price tag on his head right now for what most NFL execs would consider a rental, uh, because he's a free agent after the season. So if you're you're gonna bring him in, you don't wanna, you know, lock him down, but that's gonna be another big payday and not a lot of teams have that cap space right now. The Browns apparently have reached a financial settlement with him. That's why he wasn't cut last week. So I guess most of that 7.25 was converted to a bonus, which means the Browns will be paying that. So hopefully that helps get him cleared off of waivers. We'll see where he ends up, and I'm sure we'll talk about that later in the week. But right now, let's go ahead and move on to the Raiders waving Damon, Damon Arnett. Um, he was a first-round pick out of Ohio State. That surprised a lot of people, including yours truly, because he didn't seem like a first-round caliber corner. He was pretty much purely a slot guy, always going to be a slot guy. And, Tug, I know you're seeing right now the dangers of taking a slot corner in the first round. Ignacity hasn't really been working out for you guys either. So Damon Arnett being going in the first round was already suspect. And then him having a video out there with waving a gun around, making death threats to people, that equals getting cut. So, not exactly a great move there. What the hell is going on? In, what the hell is going on in in Vegas right now, man? It's it's been a rough like month for them. I would say what's going on is that Mike Mayock is much better at talking about what teams ought to do than doing what teams ought to do. So get him back on the NFL Network. Young this guys with money in Vegas. I, I think that's that's a big part of it. True. I also want to take this moment to uh, confirm that the Bears won the Khalil Mack trade because Damon Arnett was a draft pick uh, that the Raiders got from the Chicago Bears. Basically, all they have from that trade now is Josh Jacobs. The very worst the Bears do is it's even. Holy shit, Jimmy Graham get... thought something besides COVID. He got it. Maybe. Maybe got a touchdown. There's a fucking flag. God damn it. <laughs> Speaking of catching things, the Raiders did claim Deshaun Jackson. So that's fun. Get some additional speed on that team. Not that they lost Henry Ruggs, the speedster himself. Oh, that has oh. so many different meanings now, and oh. I, I hate it. I know what I said. <laughs> I know you do. Hey, actually, some good news, though, for, for the NFL. Russell Wilson is going to be back. Can't wait for that. Mike White is also apparently going to be back. Excited for that. The Jets actually have a quarterback again. And it's definitely not Zach Wilson, so <laughs> we'll see what how Mike White's able to do. I am the jury's still out on that. We'll see if Mike White can stay healthy in this start, but he's basically confirmed to be starting this week now that he's going to be back. So same with Russell Wilson, going to be back. He's going to be starting. You know, congrats to Geno Smith getting a couple of snaps out there, but it's Russell Wilson's show for sure. Let's talk about Adrian Peterson, though. All day, AD, the old nickname for him. He got another touchdown basically last night as we're recording this. As the Titans beat the Rams pretty unexpectedly, got to say. But with that touchdown, he ties Walter Payton for 11th all-time in career rushing touchdowns with 125. One more, he will be tied for 10th with Jim Brown. So, Adrian Peterson... Still kicking it at 36 years old. What did you guys think of his performance? He came in and did what the Titans needed him to do, which was be decent. You know, I, Ryan Tannehill absolutely had to up his game. 
which I think everybody kind of expected. You know, nobody was really sitting there saying, oh, Derrick Henry is the entire offense, just that Ryan Tannehill wasn't that good, you know. So he did what he did his job. And the Titans offense was able to adjust and still perform great. I mean, yeah, it, it looked like you had a rested up AP out there. How long he can continue that as the season wears on, even if it is only half a season, you could tell he had the fresh legs out there. And that's always a big bonus going into what's this week nine now. Pretty sure that was just week nine, but you know, is what it is. The Lions, by the way, and their bye week this week, I think they lost 27-24 to the bye. I saw that meme too. <laughs> uh, the Texans also lost, meaning that the two worst teams in the NFL are in a very neck-and-neck race for that number one overall pick. Again, we have no idea who the number one overall pick is going to be. The quarterbacks that we thought were going to be up there have certainly fallen off as of late. But is Kayvon Thibodeau really your guy with some injury concerns? All sorts of questions swirling around. So even if we know who's picking number one, we don't know what's really going to happen there. Uh, Speaking of edge rushers, though, fun little stat for you. Josh Allen sacked Josh Allen this weekend. First time in NFL history that's ever happened. Same name, sacking the same name. So we all kind of expected that at some point. He also picked him off. So he followed that up with picking him off for the first time in NFL's history. Yeah. Didn't we all kind of anticipate that happening at some point when Josh Allen was coming out as quarterback that year? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I just, we're going to see this at some point, right? Uh, Two guys in the AFC, first time they've played against each other, though, as far as I know. So pretty, pretty interesting there. Josh Allen really picked up his game playing against Josh Allen. Exciting stuff. In a massive upset, too. I hated that. The score was six to nine, which is as bad as the game was. It's still pretty nice. That was the most one of the most disgusting games I've seen in a while, too. Like, it just it wasn't a good game. It was also disturbing for the coach who won. But, you know, it's what it is. Can't help that. (laughs) <laughs> Urban Meyer won a game six to nine. Nice. <laughs> I wonder, wonder if he's taking that to uh, Urban Meyer's tap room in Dublin, Ohio. I think that's all I have for NFL news. You guys have anything else? Well, one thing we didn't talk about uh, because we cut our recording last week before Thursday night football ended. We did have a score gami, and that's I think the first one this year in the Jets uh, versus Indianapolis game, 45 to 30, first time that score's ever happened. I'm glad you showed me that cool little uh, little Twitter there, Doug, because it is hours of entertainment watching that and seeing what games have even have a shot of being scored gami before the day's over. I also believe it was the 1069th score gami ever in the NFL. Overload of nice. Can't handle that much niceness. But let's go ahead and jump into college news here. Let's, I guess we ought to start with the coaches. Jimmy Lake, head coach of Washington, got suspended for one game after shoving one of his guys on the sidelines. He says he was breaking up a little bit of a skirmish there. But Washington said, even if you were, can't be doing that to your players. I kind of understand that. I do get the one-game suspension. But, man, you know. Don't make them like they used to. Woody Hayes used to do this all the time, right? <laughs> I mean, that's what it is, man. The game's changing, game's evolving, and what used to be considered discipline on the sideline is now 
considered uh, suspension worthy. Let's talk about Scott Frost here for a second. Out at Nebraska, we talked about him even in the off season as a potential hot seat guy. They're three and seven at Nebraska right now, which screams bad news for a head coach. But when you also take into account all but one of their games has been by one score, the only one not by one score was against Ohio State this weekend. I mean, Scott Frost certainly has seemed to be making some strides there. He got his contract restructured. He was not fired. So well, basically what that means is he got a big pay cut. But he'll be back for next year and probably for sure the year after that. But we'll have to see. Again, coaching contracts, even if they're guaranteed, they always have these buyouts in place and whatnot. So we'll see what happens there. But Scott Frost is certainly back for next year. I think that was the right move by the, the Cornhuskers. What do you guys think? Did, did he sail the running back and quarterback coach down the river? And I think there were more fired, too. Based on what I saw, I saw, you know, running back and quarterback coach also fired. I didn't see it pop up on the ticker again. Do you think he sailed them down the river? I definitely think he's justified if he did. Because Adrian Martinez has looked great at times. But at the same time, he's looked awful, too. So, as far as I know, he hasn't fired them yet. But we still have a couple of games to go in the season, right? I'm sure he doesn't want to change coaches with just three That's, games left of the year. And, and I, I don't I don't know if maybe I just misread it, but it looked like it said the running back and quarterback coach were fired. Yeah, I think they're expected to be fired, but not yet. Either way, I think as the head coach, if that's the case, you absolutely have to. It's especially like not even sailing them down the river. I have to take responsibility and show the administration that, hey, I'm doing something to make a change in order for them to still have faith in me. And if that's the case, then that's that's the case. He fired four assistant coaches, including the offensive coordinator on today, on Monday at time of recording. And I I agree with you when I saw it too, I was like, surely that he's not, you know, not this year. Surely it's after the season, but no, they've, they are officially fired. All right. I didn't even see that. So thanks for, thanks for the update, bug. Nebraska going through some changes, but Scott Frost is still there. So. Again, I do agree with that decision. Scott Frost seems like he has make, been making some progress. Well, you saw Nebraska play firsthand this week. I mean, it's, you know, I've seen Nebraska play two games, one and a half games, honestly, all the way through. And I honestly thought that Illinois game, even though they lost, I said, you know what, this is a different team. I, I thought Illinois was a different team, too. And Illinois has improved more and more as the years gone on as well. I, I, I don't know that I make these firings in the middle of the season, though. Maybe maybe it was a little bit of job preservation in that regard. I'm not sure, but I don't. It's very very weird that you would fire four offensive coaches middle of the season. That has to be job preservation. It it absolutely does because it, especially with the timing of this restructure, that means there was a conversation between him and the administration, and they said we need to make a change, and he said, "Hey, hold up, I've got these changes for you." and then went through with them. That's the only thing that makes sense to me with the timing of both of these news stories breaking. Yeah, certainly possible. I know the offense was the most ineffective part of the Nebraska team that I saw the past couple of games. Uh, one team that has not been getting better is the University of Massachusetts losing to Rhode Island this past weekend. 
This is Rhode Island's first win in the past four weeks. Three of those have been against fellow FCS opponents. This one against FBS UMass, they won by two, three scores. So UMass is not looking good. (laughs) Uh, Walt Bell, a former head coach there now, had two wins in his past three seasons, which is never good, even at a place like UMass. So he's gone. No announcement yet on who the replacement is. I'm sure they're going to be looking for somebody to fill that role in the offseason here. That's got to be one of the toughest jobs in all of FBS football, though. No, you're spot on. And UMass hasn't been good for a hot minute. Like, it's been a bad program for a while. And Rhodey coming in and stomping them because it's what they did. I think it was 37-22. You, you can't recover from that. Like, I'm sorry. That's just, just how it goes. A couple of coordinators to talk about here as well. Florida's defensive coordinator and Oregon State's defensive coordinator, both can be fired, Todd Grantham and Tim Tebeslar there. Washington's offensive coordinator, John Donovan, also was let go this weekend. Again, surprising to see this many staff changes in the middle of the season. But Florida, Oregon State, and Washington are all on the verge of missing bowl eligibility because of the performances of these units that we're talking about. So makes some sense there. Want to get back on track as quickly as possible. Have to figure out some way to do it. I guess firing a coordinator was the most readily available solution. So Mason actually hit me up during the Florida game and goes, does Dan Mullen or Ann Todd Grantham leave the stadium with a job after giving up, I think, 41 points to South Carolina? after they'd only scored more than 21 once in the season, and that was against Vanderbilt. And I told him Mullen only keeps his job if he fires Todd, Grant- Todd Grantham. This is 100% a keep-my-job situation here. Yeah, it, it has to be. You, you had an embarrassing loss like that against South Carolina, a team that I would argue Florida is actually even with in terms of talent this year. Again, you, you got to make a change when, when, when you need to, and this was one of those situations. I would say also for Dan Mullen's job security in the future, you aren't allowed to be even talent with South Carolina at a place like Portland. That's harsh. He's going, he's going in what his third year. Sounds about right. Yeah. If it's his third year, he's got one more year left before all his original freshman recruits are coming in. So I, I'd get he's his seats heating up quick. Certainly something to keep on top of. Texas Tech did go ahead and hire a new head coach, former Baylor associate head coach Joey McGuire is heading to Texas Tech. He's been a high school coach in the state of Texas for a long time, been on the Baylor staff for four years, I believe now, and is going to Texas Tech. They had several candidates they were really strongly considering, including a former Texas Tech quarterback, offensive coordinator at USC. But they end up going with the Baylor guy, Joey McGuire. I like this hire to an extent. Understands the state, understands the conference very well. At the same time, it feels like Texas Tech's identity is different enough that maybe trying to be the same as Baylor doesn't make the most sense for them. I don't know. What do you guys think? Surprised it wasn't your favorite DC out of Baylor, to be honest with you. Well, he's the head coach of Baylor, so that wouldn't oh, happen. I, I thought he was. Oh, no, he's the D.C. when he was at LSU. LSU. 
I like the hire. It's interesting if it's the Big 12 being an offensive. Uh, he was an offensive assistant, wasn't he? Associate head coach and offensive coordinator. Either way, if it's the offensive identity, Texas Tech needs to forge a new identity. I don't think they really have one right now. And if that's being like Baylor, then hey, so be it. I don't know. I Texas Tech, you're right, needs an identity. It feels like they haven't had one in a while. They a haven't change, had one since Cliff Kingsbury left. Yeah, a change had to be made. I don't know. If, if I guess time will really tell if it's a good move by them or not. That's the most non-answer answer that you could have given. Thanks to our resident, Bill Belichick. Appreciate you. I, I, I don't know okay. what else you want me to say. I want you to tell me if it was good or not. And you said, maybe. So uh, <laughs> I mean, that's, I that's where I'm at. I don't deal with injuries. Um, I'll talk to the docs and make a decision from there. Fuck out of here. <laughs> Let's go ahead and talk about the NCAA's new draft of a constitution that they published today. Pretty interesting stuff, other than nothing at all was interesting about it. So that's cool. Appreciate it. Basically, what what they said was, we're going to cut our constitution in half and make it to where the divisions make their own rules. So we're going to have a nine-person governing body now over all the NCAA stuff. Other than that, it's up to each division. Okay, you, I mean, it hasn't been already, really, though. You sent this to us, and I started reading it, and then you also sent a synopsis about it as I started reading it. And I was like, cool, I guess there's no reason to read past the first page, because <laughs> nothing you said wasn't in the first page. Right. It's tough. I like that the divisions are going to have their own autonomy now, more so than what they did, I guess. Yeah, I, I'm guessing that means that, hey, every division will be able to set its own NIL stuff. Every division will be able to set its own scholarship limits uh, and things like that. That's that's what that sounds like when they say it that way. I know that's not what it's going to be in practice, which is going to be disappointing. But I'm interested to see where this goes. I love that they're embracing the NIL now in that they're basically saying, hey, our entire job as the NCAA is only to set priorities for the for college athletics and then go from there. And I know there are some people that are concerned about this as well, that especially if, you know, depending on how much power conferences get, that, you know, the SEC, who already has scandals every year, is pretty much just going to be the Wild West with everything. And nobody's going to get in trouble for anything. I don't know. I, I don't know that it's going to go that far. But I am interested to see what does end up happening. I do want to ask, am I totally crazy that every time I do a mock draft with the Lions, I give them Sam Howell in the first round and Sam Hartman in the seventh? It's a whole <laughs> lot of Sam action. What? Last time a quarterback named Sam was drafted, it was Sam Bradford, and that didn't turn out so well for anybody. Ah, uh, yes. And every, and every quarterback that's drafted from Ohio State's a bust. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> That's so far the same <laughs> logic. The same logic. Uh, quarterbacks oh, no. named Sam just aren't going to work out. <laughs> what? Absolutely. Hey, Sammy Ball <laughs> worked out pretty good. So <laughs> I also give him D'Angelo Malone at a Western Kentucky every single time, and I don't know why. 
Anyway, <laughs> let's talk about the trench ratings. Uh, we basically don't have to care about the A people anymore, which I'm a big fan of not caring about the A people because the A people is wrong every single week. Now we get to wait till Tuesday and see how the playoff committee is wrong every single week. So that's exciting they will be stuff. very, very wrong this week. I can't wait. So <laughs> instead of doing all that, we have the BDT trench ratings, which I know they're a little bit wacky, a little bit out there. They're based on some real stats, and I have absolutely nothing in here in the formula that would make this subjective in any way. I take a group of five win to be the same value as a power five win. I mean, you can argue that that's wrong. I would argue that why have them division one then? So why have them in FBS? Exactly. It's yeah, you can argue the value of each stat. I would say that, you know, based on how teams actually perform on the field, my trench ratings have been pretty solid this season so far. And uh, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what I'm going to go ahead forward. and say they can't argue the value of each stat because they don't know the value of each stat. That's true because they haven't subscribed on our Patreon at BDT, patreon.com slash football. Then you might be able to get some insight there. But as far as our trench ratings, we do give the top 10 for free every week. So let's go ahead and dive into that. Number 10 is Wake Forest. They did lose to North Carolina in a very interesting situation. This was not technically an ACC conference game. They both didn't have enough games scheduled this season. So they said, hey, um, let's just do one that doesn't count for the conference standings. (laughs) But North Carolina beat Wake Forest. And Wake Forest is no longer undefeated. They fall five spots to number 10 there. In that part of Tobacco Road, how does that work? I don't know because they just this. I know for sure this game this past weekend did not count for conference standings. Somehow, <laughs> the ACC is stupid. That's what it comes down to. That's weird. Number nine, Oklahoma State. Number eight, Alabama. Number seven, Oklahoma. Number six, Notre Dame. And number five, Ohio State. Certainly some interesting results there. One undefeated team amongst that crowd in Oklahoma. But the order of the one-loss teams, I'm sure, will be very interesting should the committee find these trench ratings. (laughs) Uh, I would love if they started. It'll never happen, but I would love if they started using this. I mean... As a basis. They... They hate me, so that'll never happen. Well, they hate that you clearly don't love the SEC. But I do have Georgia at number one, which obviously everyone in the world does. Right now, the playoff, according to the BDT BDT trench ratings, should be Georgia against the team up north and Cincinnati against UTSA. That's right, folks. I have UTSA at number three. If you heard the playoff committee chairman last week call it USTA, you are not going crazy. He literally called them that. And the coach Which just shows how much they don't give a shit about college football. They care about money. 
Coach Trailer used that as some great motivation last week because the USTA is a real organization, United States Tennis Association. So he's been calling them his little tennis team this last week. Oh my God, I love it. <laughs> and they whooped the shit out of UTEP, so I guess it worked. <laughs> well, I, I know why I, I UTEP lost now. They came to play football when they were supposed to be playing tennis. <laughs> Absolutely ridiculous on the committee's part. I believe in UTSA. I have them all the way up at number three. They did jump four spots after that domination of UTEP. And, uh, you know, Cincinnati actually jumped up a spot as well. The team up north did not at all have a bad performance against Indiana. It's just that, actually, compared to how they were expected to perform, it wasn't good enough, right? So the rating from... The team up north did fall a little bit. Cincinnati's basically stayed the same. They jump up to number two. The other big thing here about why the rating for uh, that team up north, Michigan, dropped so much is Indiana really doesn't have, doesn't add much to their strength of schedule. Not that Cincinnati's playing of uh, Tulsa had that much of an impact either. The difference was the outcomes of those games and the way Cincinnati absolutely... No, they didn't steamroll Tulsa. This is kind of surprising. I know. Tulsa's not a bad team. Tulsa is, like, they're not... I can't say they're not a bad team and then say they're not playing well. They're not playing well, but they're a talented team. There is obviously talent on that roster. Something just isn't clicking. Whether it's the coaching, the schemes, whatever, Tulsa is better than their record. I would certainly agree with that. I know the trench ratings would certainly agree with that as well. To give a little bit of context here, this is something that if you want to see the full rankings of, go subscribe on our Patreon, patreon.com slash football. But the team of North's strength of schedule last week was in the top 10. This week, they are outside of the top 30 in strength of schedule. That's what adding Indiana to the schedule did to them there this week. So, again, every single week that gets updated, every single week we're looking at different factors against different teams. So that conglomerate changes quite a bit. And, uh, yeah, not a good look for Team of North only beating Indiana by, like, 20 points, I guess. I don't know. I I am a big fan of UTSA. I'm a fan of what they've been able to do this year and how this team has built up over the past couple of years to get to where they are right now. I do still have a problem with them being in the top four, though. Even in all, you know, even knowing the way uh, that this is done, you know, absolutely no bias, completely statistical. I don't know. I don't. That's really the only thing I have a complaint about in this uh, this ranking our ratings right now. That said, I don't know who I put in their place. I don't know who if I put them at eleven. You know, I don't, I haven't looked, I don't know who's at, who we have at 11, but I don't know that I moved them straight up into 10, right? I, again, no bias without us, you know, going around the room and saying, oh, here's what we think it should be. I don't know who I would have in my top four or probably, really who would, who would round out my top 10, I guess. Probably ideally, probably ideally we would drop UTSA below the top 10 and move Oregon into that top 10. Oregon for me is at number 12. Um, but 
either way, UTSA is certainly on quite a roll for themselves here. Something that the program really has never done in their history. So really impressive. The trash ratings are rewarding them so far. We'll see if that continues. Now that's it for the news. Let's get to our game reviews. We all picked a game to watch this weekend. And <laughs> I don't know if we did a very good job or not. But we're going to talk about them anyway. Who wants to go first here? I'll go first because I absolutely picked a great game. And I'll say it now because we're going to get to uh, we're going to get to our pick records this week here in a little bit. I picked an upset because I wanted to be different. I didn't want us to all have Baylor, Kansas State, and Air Force. Uh, the problem is I picked the wrong upset, and I should have picked TCU to beat Baylor because the whole reason I picked this game was because of Jerry Kill taking over as interim head coach for the Horned Frogs. And look. Th- the fans weren't happy, right? The stadium looked pretty empty. Like, they were not happy Gary Patterson was shown the door. But, man, Kill got it done, and a lot of that credit has to go to Chandler Morris. He had the fourth best performance by a quarterback in TCU history, and they knock off number 12 Baylor 30-28. to 28. I agree with the fans. Gary Patterson getting shown the door like that is pretty in- incredible, considering all he's done for that entire he- organization. He absolutely should have been given the season. And right. I think it's shameful that they didn't at least do that. At the very least, you know, that's a very captain my captain moment with the fans not showing up for this game, which kind of hurts Jerry Kill's first outing here. But at the same time, wow, what a win for TCU. I mean, you get an upset win in your first game, even if the fans really aren't there. That's that against an in-state rival, cross-town rival, really. That's still a big step forward for him and his hopeful campaign to be the next head coach of TCU. We all kind of picked rivalries this week. I'll go ahead and go next. Sunflower Showdown. Mine has a name to it. Kansas State and Kansas. It's a very historic rivalry for a very good reason. I mean, they've been playing this game for over 100 years now, but at the same time, Kansas State has very much so dominated the past several years. That did not <laughs> give way at all this past weekend. Kansas State certainly dominated on the field. You know, 35 to 10, it wasn't that close. So, good job to the Wildcats. Kansas State just, you know, looked as much like a top 25 team as they have all season. And... It's a good time to do it against Kansas. So, in that Sunflower Showdown, Kansas State, yeah, they won. They won pretty big. So, we've done this a few times where we've talked about the game going on as we're recording. Bears punt, fumble on the return, scoop and score for six. It is now a three-point game. Wow. I will say though, showing looking at the replay, fifty fifty if this calls if this is going to stand. Hey, if it's ball fifty was, fifty, it should stand as calls in the field. Yeah, ball was definitely moving as he went to the ground, and as he hit the ground, like it was, it was. Oh, it's out! It's out! Never mind! It's out! <laughs> All right, good times down in. Where is this at? It's at Pittsburgh, right? It's at Pittsburgh, yep. Bears were home last week, and they're home after the bye, so this one's on the road. And Heinz Field has got to be jumping, I'm sure. 
and <laughs> for the wrong reasons right now. Oh, man. <laughs> what was your game, Tug? I had the Commander's Classic, the newly named rivalry of Army versus Air Force, and this game was surprising. Uh, honestly, there's a lot more passing yards for both teams than I think anybody expected. Uh, both passing offenses were relatively efficient. Both defenses were solid against the run, but kind of poor against the pass, which is as expected. Man, Army looked like they were going to run, run away with it early. Air Force comes back, ties it up in the final minute of the game, and it goes to OT. Uh, Army's able to punch one in, and Air Force stalls themselves out again one more time. Uh, final score is 21, Army, Air Force, 14. Uh, so I, I'm sad. Uh, this is a little depressing for me. I really wanted the Commander-in-Chief's trophy to come back home. Guys, it's been missing for four years now. Uh, actually, five years now. So if anybody sees it, uh, you can let me know, and I'll be sure to uh, let Troy know of its uh, whereabouts. So that way we can uh, hopefully get it back next year. I know where it is. It's at West Point, and that's probably where it's going to stay this year, too. Boom, got oh, no, it's definitely staying there this year. There's no way Navy can win it because Air Force already beat them. I really hate how they do that, but I also don't know a better way to do that. So, The only better way of doing it was how they did it back in the day, which is the sharing of trophy. So where all three would get the, the year on it. Yeah, But nobody likes that. Us, so. I, would, I would prefer aggregate points be the tiebreaker than just allowing it to stay at one place if the... But it's a one, one, and one. That's how the uh, that's how the Florida Cup does it, actually. If you guys know what that is, it's the sporadic trophy for the trio of Florida in-state rivals. Exciting stuff there. Let's go ahead and talk about our picks. As Bug kind of already mentioned, we were all in line to pick Baylor, Kansas State, and Air Force. And we all did very poorly there. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, like I said, I literally only went with Kansas because I wanted to do something different, and I wanted to pick an upset. Like, I guess Army Air Force. I, I think our Air Force was the favorite, but those games are always kind of a toss up. Even you know, even if right. one team is a multiple touchdown favorite, in my opinion, nobody's that much better at the triple option. But I don't know. I. I don't regret picking Kansas. I regret not picking TCU. I'll, I would be happy if I had picked TCU, Kansas, and Air Force and went one and two. But, you know, I'd like to formally apologize to Coach Jerry Kill at this time. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I regret that. I was so close to picking Army, too. I, I just I didn't. I fell in line, and I'm, I'm ashamed. <laughs> there was no way I was picking Army. I don't regret it. If you show me this game, even the results of this one, and Air Force is playing Army again, you know, next week or in three weeks, I'm taking Air Force again, uh, even though Army probably has the upper hand. Uh, it's kind of like Ben with the Packers. There's just no way I will ever pick Army or Navy. Um, hey, I don't blame you. I'm just saying I would have picked Army that's if you valid. this chance again. That's valid. 100%. Uh, Baylor TCU. I've got no regrets there. It's just an outstanding game by TCU to step up and, and get the win. And then Kansas State, I had over Kansas. And for me, that was the no-brainer of the weekend. That that was a virtual lock going in. Which turned out to be the only accurate one that both of us had. So good job to us there. Yeah, we're still doing pretty good, though, for our college picks overall. 22-10 and 10 does have the lead here. 
on the season. So I think we're doing pretty solid there, at least better than what we're doing in the NFL. But we had some bonus games to talk about Speak as well. Speak for yourselves. <laughs> you're basically even with how you're doing in the NFL. I don't know what you're talking about. I above, I don't have I don't even have ten wrong yet in the NFL. I mean, all right, whatever. We'll bow down to you later. But we got to talk about our bonus games here for a second. <laughs> so Wake Forest at North Carolina. Like I said, this doesn't affect ACC standings somehow magically because the ACC is stupid and Wake Forest and North Carolina are both stupid as well. But Wake Forest did lose fifty-eight to fifty-five. North Carolina pulls it out. Like we had talked about before in the season, seems like North Carolina plays like a top 15, top 20 team when they're at home and like a bottom 20 team when they're on the road. So pretty much what everyone expected here, actually, at least a good game, at least a close game. But North Carolina coming out on top is not too much of a surprise, at least to the Vegas odds makers. Uh, Auburn at Texas A&M, 20 to 3 for Jimbo Fisher's squad, a little bit surprising there. I thought Auburn would put up at least a good fight. But Bo Nix, his inconsistencies showing through. He had a couple of great games last two weeks, and then that can't sustain itself because it's Bo Nix. So Texas A&M happened, and we'll see if Auburn can turn things around in time for the Iron Bowl in a couple of weeks here. USC at Arizona State. I mean, Arizona State. Pulled out the win there. Uh, not too much of a surprise, got to say. I thought it was going to be closer than it was. But then the big upset of the week happened, as basically everyone predicted. Michigan State going into West Lafayette. Purdue pulling out the 40-29 to win. I get that that's a big upset, and this is the second time this year Purdue has done this. When we talk about the fact that Arizona ended their 20-game losing streak, beating Cal 10 to three. That's, that's what I was going to try and talk about there. Uh, when I was, when I was muted. Yeah. Arizona beats Cal 10 to three, but we can't ignore the fact that they had the help of 26 Cal players being out of that game. I think for wow. the COVID. Wow. wow. That's, that's why when, when I sent that message on Saturday night, like, wow, Arizona's bad. Like I knew they were bad, but I didn't know they were that bad. That's how bad they are. They need the help of COVID to win games. And not even win it by a lot. They won 10 to 3. I mean, there were, were, we're not in the NFL yet, but there were, what, 36 turnovers in the Dolphins game? Win's a win, baby. That's <laughs> true. Big facts. Why do you still find a way to hurt me when I win? Because you're so easily hurt. Because <laughs> we're not even trying to... at this point. I don't have a lot to cling to anymore, man. Hey, UNLV got their first win of the season as well. So pretty exciting stuff around the FBS. <laughs> I, How many winless teams do we have anymore? I think it's just UConn. I thought UConn got a win too. Let me, let me check. Mm, yeah, they're one and eight. Ooh, exciting stuff. And UMass has a win. Does ECU have a win? I think ECU has a win. Yeah, I think everybody at least has one win now on the season. So that's New Mexico pretty great. State. One and eight. So what UMass you're saying is, is one and eight. What you're saying is nobody's going to pull a Detroit Lions this this year in college. 
in, yeah, I'm Akron's glad you added that so. qualifier. I mean, the Detroit Lions are pulling at the Detroit Lions, so that <laughs> uh, let's talk about FCS bonus games as well for just a second here. A couple of Missouri Valley Conference games. Missouri State beating Southern Illinois. That's Southern Illinois' second loss in a row and third on the season. Uh, SIU is still going to be ranked fairly highly, though. I'm sure it's just the way the Missouri Valley works, man. SIU certainly has a chance to still break into that playoff and probably advance pretty far if they keep playing like they have a couple of tough games there. Um, and the Dakota marker happened this weekend as well. South Dakota State pulling out that rivalry win. That's a pretty big one. You know, SIU's first loss was to Kansas State, and I thought they looked like a pretty good team. Even when they were on that win streak, taking out the Giants of the FCS, I think they had, what, two or three top five wins in a row for the second year in a row. Yep. They were playing with fire, and eventually they got burned, and it's happened, you know, last week. Uh, it happened to them the same way that they've been doing it to everybody else this week. Missouri State, you know, 10-point win is not uh, not anything to scoff at ever uh, at any level of football, honestly. And maybe the maybe the dogs just kind of underestimated their opponent there. Never under, underestimate Bobby Petrino. He can pull a motorcycle accident out of, the, out of his ass at a moment's notice. Jesus. Jesus Christ. <laughs> <clears throat> the Big Sky had some great action as well this weekend. Montana State pulling out the three-point win at Eastern Washington. Eric Barrier couldn't get it done there. Montana State certainly looking like one of the top four, if not top three teams in the FCS. Probably one and two, Sam Houston State and James Madison at the moment, though. Montana State is definitely up there. Going to be an incredible playoff. One last game I wanted to talk about at the FCS level. The game I was certainly looking the most forward to. Uh, Southeastern Louisiana heading to Incarnate Word. It absolutely lived up to the billing, man. Offensive showcase all around. UIW ends up winning this one 55-52. Wow, what a game. (laughs) What a game. Cole Kelly threw for 647 yards. Cameron Ward threw for 610 yards. That is fourth and ninth, respectively, on the single-game record list for FCS history. So, also of note here, uh, Cole Kelly threw for uh, 50 completions on 68 attempts with three touchdowns. That is one of six all-time games in FCS history with 50 completions for a quarterback. Three of those six all-time have happened this year with this one. And uh, Samford's Liam Welch and Presbyterian's Ryan Hefley also having 50-plus completion games this season. Just wild offensive performances on both sides of the ball. It's not like the defenses are really that bad against other teams. They've been holding opponents to respectable numbers. But against these two juggernauts at quarterback, there was nothing the defenses could do. And just what a what a game. That's absolutely insane, man. Just all the way around. You got over almost 1,300 yards passing. Absolutely nuts. So let's talk about the players we had to watch out for this weekend. Which one of us wants to go first? 
I'll lead it off again here. Jack Cohn did okay. 23 of 29, 269 yards. One touchdown. He was sacked twice against Navy. This game was close for a little bit, and ironically enough, Navy scored three in the first quarter. Notre Dame scored 17 in the second. Navy comes out and scores three in the third. Notre Dame scores another 17 in the fourth, and that's kind of the story there. When you only throw six incompletions all day, it's going to be tough for the defense to really stop the team as a whole. Overall, though, I don't think Jack Cohn did all that much better than Desmond Ritter when they played Navy. So I, I think this Navy team is significantly better than anybody wants to give them credit for. Certainly possible. Navy has been pretty decent this season. I'll go ahead and go next. Tyler Algier, running back for BYU. I, know I was expecting him to have a pretty awesome game against Idaho State just because of how bad the Bengals are there. But what happens against bad competition sometimes is that coaching staffs want to preserve their players. So I understand why Algier had to sit. At the same time, kind of disappointing for me personally. He got one touchdown, and that was it for his day. So, you know, not that many yards, didn't move up off the leaderboard at all. Just, <laughs> again, I entirely understand. They still won like 59 to 13 or something, if that even. So it's, yeah, I, I understand. At the same time, Tyler Algier didn't have the day I thought he might. It happens, man. It happens. I'll tell you who had a day that I uh, we expect him to have. That was Noah Sewell, the linebacker out of uh, Oregon. His stats on the surface look pedestrian. You have 10 total tackles, five solo, five assisted, and then two passes defense, but Really, that's what you're looking for, uh, looking for out of your linebacker. Very solid game for him. I can see why he's on the short list for the Dick Buckus Award, uh, and I can see him continuing to make this case moving forward. Overall, solid game for Noah Sewell there. Certainly one of the best linebackers in all college football out in Oregon. So that's, that's what has them in the playoff conversation. But that's probably all we have for college, unless anybody else has any parting shots. Alrighty, so let's go ahead and jump into the NFL. So we got games and players to review for the NFL as well. Let's go ahead and dive on into these games. And who wants to go first? Sounds like uh, that's been the, the bug signal as of late. So go for yeah, it. Yeah, I, I, I picked the uh, biggest blowout, that's for sure. The ba- the Browns, sorry, killed the Bengals 41-16. They were the first team with an interception return. A an interception return for a touchdown. Is that a kick return for a touchdown? Receiving touchdown. Receiving touchdown and a rushing touchdown. All of 60-plus yards since 1967 and when the Chargers did it. I knew they'd probably play better with uh, without OBJ there. But oh, my God. Because it wasn't just the offense that looked better. The defense was making Joe Burrow uncomfortable all day long. And the offense, man... They didn't look like they could be stopped. Nick Chubb had a day, obviously, breaking off a 60-plus-yard touchdown run. That was that was an insane Browns team. That's the Browns team that beat the shit out of the Bears earlier this year. And, I, you know, I, I don't think the Bears are one of the best teams in the league, but 
if the Browns play like that every week, I don't under like they could beat most of the teams in the league, and they certainly haven't looked like that the whole season. Yeah, I get it. They're playing Cincinnati. It's kind of a rivalry there. It's a pretty big rivalry, actually. I'm underselling that, but that was something else. I do have some explanation for it. Denzel Ward was back for this game as well. He was the one who had the 99-yard interception return for a touchdown. So without Denzel Ward, the Browns have certainly been missing something in that secondary. Greedy Williams is fine as a slot corner, but as an outside only guy he has been struggling in the nfl where he really didn't at lsu so a little bit of a surprise to me from draft evaluation wise but as far as what the browns need him to do he only really works in the slot so getting him back to that role they were shut down completely in the first half and then you know greedy williams going out for the second half with a slight injury but you know that got the bengals back into some conversation like maybe they were making a push to get back into the game and that's when miles garrett stepped up and shut that conversation down too so the browns were a complete unit this game for really the first time in a while it was fascinating to watch not gonna lie (laughs) and that's the scary part is like you said this is the first time in a while the browns have put a put together a complete game and if they can do this more consistently. This can be a force to be reckoned with, especially in a wide open AFC right now, which is a fantastic segue to why the AFC is wide open for me. I took the Packers traveling down to Kansas City to take on the Chiefs. And by God, this game was as bad as the storyline was heading into it. Chiefs pull it out 13 to seven. The Packers are struggling. They're missing a lot. Jordan Love just is not ready yet. But honestly, the Chiefs, if I'm if I'm a Chiefs fan, if I'm the Chiefs organization, I'm I'm hitting the panic button now. Uh, there's some serious concerns on that offense. It is not operating the way it usually does. And that I, I don't know, man. It's just not doing it for me. I will talk more about this game when I get to my player to watch because a lot of it ties in together. So, Doug, if you have anything else to add here, go for it. I don't have much to add about Packers Chiefs, but I have plenty to add about my game to watch Minnesota at Baltimore here. Um, (laughs) This was truly an incredible game and I didn't know what to make of it at first, you know, even gosh, going into this weekend, it was still just, I picked it because it felt like a game that could potentially be really good because both of these teams have felt so inconsistent to me and that proved to be true. Baltimore didn't show up the first half and then came and dominated the second half and Minnesota dominated the first half and failed to show up for the second half. So again, both teams played pretty inconsistently, but it turned out to even out for a fantastic finish. Baltimore ends up winning in overtime by a field goal. Really the Vikings got an interception in overtime and then that led to a one yard three and out for that Vikings offense. So those inconsistencies really catching up to them there. Baltimore had a a really, really solid drive at the end of overtime there to lead up to that field goal. So, man, if the Ravens can possibly put together a complete game like what they do in the fourth quarter of every game and in overtime of this one, they will be unbeatable. But I haven't seen them do that ever. (laughs) 
I don't even know if that's really possible. They basically played perfect football for the last 10, 15 minutes of every game so far this season that I've seen. Just absolutely wild. The Ravens are the Ravens are good. They're what we expected. They're pretty good. I'm just amazed that Minnesota was able to keep this as close as they did all game. I man, I I don't get it. I think if Minnesota could play a complete game, you know, the opposite direction, finish a game for once, they'd be in a much better position. But so far, they haven't been able to do it. And the Bears just took a 27 to 26 lead. I don't. Oh, my God. I love and hate football so much. What do you say we move into our uh, reviews of our picks here, though? One Let's person went 3-0, and and it wasn't the person who's normally killing it in the NFL picks. Doug, congratulations. You picked. You were the only one to pick the Browns. Obviously had the Ravens and the Chiefs. Doug and I both had the Bengals. And you are 3-0. and You're only three games behind me right now. So creeping up, Doug. You, uh, you look about like I do in college, so congratulations on, <laughs> on that, being below 500. That, that's what I'm saying. We we about even each other out, you know, as far as both I, leagues. We, it, it works out. <laughs> I'm enjoying this because there's three games separating Ben and me, and then there's another three games separating me and Doug. It's a little bit of comfort at every level here. Yeah, you can go fuck yourself with that comment. But also... <laughs> wow. <laughs> Man, I did not expect the Browns to play as well as they did. It certainly felt like a lot of dysfunction around the entire organization right then. I know Odell leaving probably meant good things. I anticipated that, to be honest with you. At the same time, I didn't think it would mean good things this weekend. So 41-16, to I had no idea. That is just what a gutsy call there, Tug. There was a lot. There's actually a, a graphic that came up in the game that show that the Browns with OBJ are sitting around 500 and they're like seven and one without him. So right. there's something to that, that you, that's not a stat that you can ignore at this point. Absolutely agree. You did have a couple of bonus games. We wanted to point out as well. I know we've already talked a little bit about the Titans at the Rams 28 to 16. I don't know if anyone expected that. I think the Rams were actually favored in this game. Understandably so. Without Derrick Henry, no one knew what this Titans offense would even look like. But Adrian Peterson got him a touchdown. Tannehill did what he had to. The story of this game, though, has to be that Titans defense playing lights out for really, what, the third game in a row? And then those are the only three games they've played lights out the last four seasons. So truly incredible stuff for the Titans right now. The Titans momentum on their side. Titans defense had two interceptions in 11 seconds and the Titans as a whole had 14 points in 11 seconds. Cause the first interception, I have no idea what Matt Stafford was doing. He must've thought he was still playing for the lions. He gets spun around in the end zone, just swings it. And I'll say this, had he made a completed pass to a Rams player, we'd be talking about that play. Well, that probably would have been what led off the show, honestly. That play was ins- – <laughs> if it would have been a path, completed pass, it would have been absolutely insane. And then Ryan Tannehill runs it in on the offense. Next play for the Rams offense, he throws a pick six to Kevin Byard, and 
man, it's unreal. At that point, you knew the Rams were in trouble. Something just was not right for them on Sunday night. But, man, nobody, and I mean nobody, saw this coming. I I want to say something, but nobody's going to believe me because I did want to pick this as my game to watch, and I was leaning the Titans on it anyway. But nobody's going to believe me because I didn't say that on Thursday's episode, and now with the results, it's going to be like, well, yeah, of course you were. No, you did You did have it as your game to watch, and I don't know. I was actually thinking about this because I generally don't want to pick a primetime game, especially in college, or, you know, number one versus number two, a really big high-profile matchup typically because everybody's already going to be watching that game. The more I thought about it, there's not as many games to pick from in the NFL. If you think it's going to be a good game, go for it, because you don't know what you're going to get. And I will vouch for you, Tug. I knew you were going to pick the Titans if that was your game to watch. And, man, again, gutsy call. You're on a roll in the NFL. Let's see if that continues as well. I kind of (laughs) doubt it does. That's kind of a role that's hard to maintain. A couple other bonus games to point out here. Chargers at the Eagles. We pointed this one out thinking it might be a better game than it should be. And it again, it was. The Eagles are able to score some points for no reason whatsoever. They don't seem like an offense that should be able to score at all. And yet they can keep up with the likes of the Chargers. Chargers did end up winning, though, 27-24. Um, just wild. I, I don't even know what to think of this team right now. Either of them, honestly, the Chargers or the Eagles. Cardinals over the 49ers, man, pretty decisively, too. Gotta say, Cardinals look pretty legit. They might be real NFC contenders here. With McCoy at quarterback and DeAndre Hopkins out. Right, right. I mean, that's that's pretty scary. Uh, Unless you're a team like the Buccaneers, I guess. In which case, you know, if you're the Buccaneers, that's probably the only team that seems to be able to compete with the Cardinals right now for the NFC. Everyone else is feels like they're lagging way behind those two at the moment. The AFC race got a little bit weirder with the Bills at the Jaguars this past weekend. I know we talked about this game a little bit already in the episode, but Bills losing by a field goal here, 6-9. to nine. Nice. No touchdowns in this game either. That's really disgusting. I also have no idea what happened to the Bills here because they've had two wins on the season of 40 to nothing and 35 to nothing. So it's not like they can't score and it's not like they don't know how to stop people from scoring. So I truly don't understand I, this game. I would argue they stopped somebody from scoring. That That did happen. I mean, yeah, nine points and they also got Trevor Lawrence hurt. So I guess that's one good Gen- thing the Bills did this year. Gen- generally speaking, if you hold a team to nine points, I expect you to win. And they still had a chance to win, but then Josh Allen got sacked on the last Josh play Allen the on Josh Allen violence. Yeah. <laughs> God, that self-violence is brutal, man. It was something else. Let's go ahead and jump to our players to watch here. Gotta say... These games were a lot more exciting than I felt like they were going to be going into this weekend. And some of these player performances were way worse (laughs) than we projected. I want to start us off here because Terod Taylor was my guy to watch. And I thought he was going to play pretty good. So did I. 
and he did not play pretty good. <laughs> I'm I'm thankful for that. <laughs> Actually, he played the opposite of pretty good, I would say. Uh, those three interceptions there really cost the Texans massively, massively. Ben, you were talking about the what-the-hell-were-you-thinking interception from uh, Matt Stafford there. Terod Taylor actually threw an interception where he was already stepping out of, like, he was ready to step out of bounds and just take the sack and just tossed it on a line. It also happened to be right down the sideline, not out of bounds, which is not what you want to do when you're leaving the pocket, trying to avoid a sack. Um, And Jerome Baker picked it off. Beautiful interception, but... Yeah, just a, a what were you thinking kind of throw there. Tug, you go next because the game is on the line. It's the fourth quarter with 30 seconds left. Boswell is on the field. Steelers are down by one. I I can't talk for a second. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's fine. Uh, I re, I'm, I'm going to try and take up 30 seconds here, man, but I, I don't have much to say other than the Chiefs receiving core has absolute stone hands this year. They are not helping out Patty at all, and it's not worth trying to give him any, give them any more trust than, than what he has given them. Patrick Mahomes only had 190 yards through the air this weekend. Kind of insane thinking about it. Actually, hold on. I think I got that stat line wrong. All right, Patrick Mahomes only had 166 yards through the air. 68 of those went to his uh, his tight end Travis Kelsey, however you want to pronounce it. Tyree Kill dropped four or five passes this is just unlike the chiefs across the board there is something going on there that has them messed up like i said i'm already hitting the panic button until these receivers can start catching the ball again it's this season's going to be a wash for the chiefs yeah your tight ends yards and touchdown don't save the entire receiving core you know that tyreek hill gosh i can't mccall hartman I'm blanking on everyone else's names. You got, I really don't have Sammy uh, Watkins Mc- anymore. <laughs> no, it's you got McCole Hardman. You've got uh, Byron Pringle. Some Pringle. of those other guys out Gosh, there. Yeah. How can you forget Mr. Pringle himself? But yeah, they just, they did not look very good. They really haven't all year. You've been right about that one. I didn't even diagnose it as fast as you did. So it's, it's a wild thing to see here and don't understand why. At the same time, I, I do have to ask, does this potentially hurt Eric Bannamy's shot at a head coaching position, the way the Kansas City offenses were performing this year? I don't know that it's his fault. I don't know if it's a, a scheme issue. I don't know what it is. There's just, over the past few seasons, what's really helped the Chiefs is there's been a great chemistry, a great connection between Patrick Mahomes and his receivers. But ever since that, that Super Bowl, man, it just, it hasn't been there this year. I don't know what it is. No, it's not Patrick Mahomes. Please do not start the Chad Henney petition again. I don't want to hear about it. Uh, I know what he brings to the table. He played in Miami. It's not good. You don't want it. Dude, I don't know what it is this year. There's just something that's missing between the Chiefs, specifically between Patrick Mahomes and the receivers. I absolutely do want to see Chad Henney again. Bring it on. Let's see what happens. <laughs> And that comes down to bug. What happened in the game, man? So they kicked the field goal. Obviously, there was a decent amount of time left. Matt Nagy called his last time out to try and ice the kicker. Uh, 22 seconds left. Bears are deep in their own territory. 
And uh, it's a two-point ball game. So if they can get in the field goal range, get out of bounds, or get the ball spiked, it's not over yet. But uh, with rookie Justin Fields leading the way, who knows? I mean, it's a big pressure situation for a rookie. And uh, he's played well today so far. But I can't say the same for not a rookie, but uh, another quarterback seeing his first action in the NFL regular season, Jordan Love. He was my player to watch. Honestly, because I wanted to dance on the graves of Packers fans, uh, because I knew he wasn't going to do well. 19 of 34, 190, one touchdown, and a pick, also sacked once. I, I got to say, there's there's a few things here. One, I think part of it is Matt LaFleur has no clue how to game plan for a quarterback that's not Aaron Rodgers, because there's zero reason Jordan Love should have been throwing 34 times in his first start. That's not a... That's not a recipe for success for anybody. The second piece here, they probably win this one by 40 if Aaron Rodgers plays because the Chiefs do not have a good secondary. And the Packers defense was playing lights out today or yesterday as well. Aaron Rodgers is the Green Bay Packers right now. And man, I don't know how much of a preview this is for once Aaron Rodgers is gone, but I will say it does not look great right now. I think, I think that does it for the NFL. You guys got anything else to add? I don't think I do. I think that's about it. And so I think that's about it for this episode of the Big Dudes in the Trenches podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. It's been another great week of talking about some football with you guys. So glad you could join us. I'm sure there are plenty of places you can join in the conversation if you wanted to. Tug, do you have those links handy? I do, and I think I have a bonus here. All right, running down the list, we have our Twitter.com slash BDT football, Facebook.com slash BDT football, Patreon.com slash BDT football, Mailbox at BDT football.com, BDT football.com. And guys, we're going to add something else this week. Uh, we will be posting the polls there as well uh, for our Heisman bracket, which we will cover the contenders in this week's matchups uh, in, a, in a second here. But we will have Instagram.com slash BDT underscore football. Uh, that is BDT underscore football for Instagram. In case I spoke too fast, I will link them in the description below. Bug, you've got something to say here, man, before we get into the matchups. What you got? Oh, I might have spoke too soon. While he's processing, Doug, do you want to cover our matchups this week for uh, the bracket? Sure. <laughs> Whole other side of the Heisman winners bracket. We're trying to determine the best Heisman Trophy recipient of all time. We do have Marcus Mariota versus Sam Bradford. Kyler Murray versus Tim Tebow. Baker Mayfield versus Mike Rozier. Doak Walker against Charles White. Troy Smith up against Herschel Walker, Desmond Howard versus Doug Flutie, Ricky Williams versus Marcus Allen, and Davey O'Brien versus Barry Sanders all this week. Some pretty incredible matchups there, some really difficult ones as well. We do need your help significantly this week on Twitter at BDT, BDT Football. Uh, also, Facebook and Instagram links, you can find all the stuff there as well. So anywhere you can reach us, Make sure to help us out. These is these are some insane matchups for sure. <sighs> okay, so the Bears had to attempt a 65-yard field goal. Pass was incomplete on first down. 
uh, as they crossed the 50. So they're at the 48-yard line, I believe. Pass was incomplete and only two seconds left in the game. It's Cairo Santos' first miss in 42 attempts, I believe, of 60, and it was a 65-yard field goal. I, I'm not going to lie. You couldn't see my reaction initially. I thought that it bounced off the crossbar from the angle. Uh, however, it was about five yards short, and I don't honestly know which one is worse. I hate that Cairo Santos uh, streak of made field goals had to end on that. And, you know, it was basically a hope and a prayer, especially in an outdoor stadium, man, that's, that's brutal, but great game, great Monday night game. Typically as a bears fan, you expect the bears to lay an absolute egg on Monday night. And in the first half, they definitely looked like they were doing that, which brings me to my next point. Obviously I did not release my, Bears weekly reaction on Monday because the Bears were still playing. So that's going to be out Tuesday. It'll already be out by the time you guys are hearing our beautiful voices right now on bdtfootball.com. So be sure to check that out. And, uh, you know, I've been, I've been doing this thing. I've been doing the dad jokes at the end of the week. I've been doing the Snapple facts early in the week. You guys ready for a Snapple fact? Always send it. The first human-made object to break the sound barrier. You guys know what it was? It's the whip. Ah, yeah. Makes sense. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that is all the time we have on the show today. Thank you for listening, and just remember, you can't win a game if you can't win the trenches. <laughs>